know that uh, I have learned many, many things from your pastor, and I mean that from the depths of my heart. I'm honored that uh, I've been asked to speak today, and uh, I, I just want to be a blessing to you. I prayed that I'd be a blessing to you. Katie and I love when we come. We've been here quite a few times in the last several weeks, and we love coming here. I'm always blessed. I'm blessed by the music. I love your music program. Uh, I'm blessed by the preaching. I love your pastor. And uh, now to be asked to preach this Sunday, and then I preach for you next Sunday too. And then I preach for you this Wednesday night. And uh, so you're going to get all of me. You can stand. I can tell you that. I was preaching years ago in, uh, in, in uh, New York, in Rochester, New York. And when I got through preaching, a very well-dressed lady came up to me. And I thought she was going to say, thank you for the sermon. You know, I'm from the south. I'm not from the north. And uh, she came up to me and she said, I just want you to know, I thank God you're not my pastor. <laughs> And me being from the South and a gentleman, I said, and I thank God I'm not your pastor. No, I didn't, I didn't say that. I, I, I didn't say that. But I hope uh, that we're going to learn some great things from the Word of God. Don't you love the Word of God? Amen. Now, you, you have the notes and you can follow with me. And, and I really believe when, when the Lord called me to preach back there, He saved me. Matter of fact, I just had a spiritual birthday. I'm 50 years old in the Lord. I got saved when I was 17 years old, January 1, 1970. I was drunk the night before, sobered the next night and got saved. And I've never been back on that bottle since. That's called the grace of God. Amen. And uh, I, I just, uh, God called me to preach, really called me to preach just a few weeks after I was saved. And... Uh, I, I really believe that my calling and my gift has been that of a pastor teacher. I will preach to you and I'll teach you something. And I hope when you leave that you walk away saying, I learned something I didn't know before I got there today. Now to, today, the title of the message is an example we can relate to. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Now we're going to read the text in a moment, but let me give you a little bit of background uh, about why I'm preaching what I'm, I'm preaching today. <clears throat> Every one of us can relate to having prodigals in our life. Luke 15 is dealing with the story of the prodigal son and also the story of the other prodigal brother that stayed home. We just don't call him the prodigal. Now, what uh, I've learned down through the years, the older I get, the more I run into people that are grieving over having prodigal children and grandchildren. I was asked to, to, to preach at what I would call a cowboy church uh, not too long ago, and, and one of the pastors there from North Alabama, and he was been bivocational uh, all of uh, the many years he's been a pastor. And he began to, in a prayer request, ask for prayer for his children, and, and it grieved my heart as I listened to him because he was broken because he had some children that were serving God and some that were not serving God. 
And uh, you, you could almost hear it in his voice. What did we do wrong? How could this have happened? Because number one, Christ was the center of his home. There's no hypocrisy there. They didn't have a church standard and a home standard. It was all living for God, whether you're at church or at home. They taught the word of God to their children and just, just listening to him. And, and it almost came down to where he didn't say the words, but it was just like, I, I, I'm not even worthy. How could I even be a pastor? And I, I came away from that saying, God, there's an answer for this. And what you're going to hear today is, is the answer of it. Evangelist Phil Waltrip said, we receive many letters at our office, but by far the most common request is for us to pray for a wayward son or daughter or a wayward son-in-law or daughter-in-law. Now, when we think of this story here, the, the father tells us, the, tells us about two sons. And one of them is called the prodigal, as I said a moment ago. And the other one is, is a prodigal. He just hasn't left home. Now, this story is so familiar that we have literally changed the meaning of the word prodigal because of the story. Now, the word prodigal literally means that of, of wasteful living or, or, or rashly and wasteful extravagant. But we would define it today as that one who has left family and faith. Isn't that right? When we think of prodigal, we don't think about uh, reckless living and, and, and lavishly living and carelessly living. We think about somebody who's left. They've left the faith. They've left the family. They're no longer there. Now, before we read our text, I want to give you some background. And I love this about Jesus. You know, Jesus... Uh, uh, he, he was not only the game changer, Jesus was the guy that could sort of get right in your face, couldn't he? Now, I don't know if you've read lately, as you like most of us, and read our Bible through, but in Deuteronomy chapter 21, let me just tell you what verses 18 through 21 say. <clears throat> it talks about parents that had a stubborn and rebellious child, and the child would not listen to them. And so what they were to do is they would take the child to the elders, and, and the elders would take the child to the gate of the city. And the parents would declare all of the bad the child has done. They'd talk about how bad he is. That just tells you that's not a good parent. Somebody help me right there. Any parent telling you how bad their children are, you better check them out. Something's bad wrong. Now, that, children may be bad, but parents still see good. But the parents would tell all the bad that he did. And then the elders and the men of the city would stone him to death. Now, are you with me? That's Deuteronomy 21, 18, 19, 20, and 21. You can go home and check me out. By the way, everything I say, I hope you'll go home and check me out. Now, <clears throat> during Jesus' ministry and lifetime, there was a story that the rabbis had told for many, many years. And the story was based on Deuteronomy 21. The story was about a prodigal who spent all of his inheritance in wasteful, sinful living. And when he absolutely fell apart in his life, he comes home to his father. And when he comes home, the father's standing with his arms crossed. 
And the prodigal says, Dad, I failed. And I've, I, I, I've made a mess of things and I want to come home. And the father with his arms crossed would turn his back and say, you're not welcome here. You're no longer welcome. You deserve what's happened to you. And you deserve what's going to happen to you. And the father kept his back turned. And the boy is stoned to death. Now that was the story. Come on now. Get with me. You've got to get with this to get all under. I'm going to teach you some stuff today. But get the background. And so everybody that's listening to Jesus had heard the rabbis tell that story over and over and over again. And in their mind, they saw that dad with crossed arms. They saw that dad turn his back. They heard that dad say, you're getting exactly what you deserve. You sowed it, now you reap it. You made your bed, now sleep in it. They had heard it over and over and over again. And so then Jesus, as he begins to tell the story of our text, as he begins to tell this story, you can almost see the rabbis going, we know this story. We've heard this story before. But now as we take Luke 15 and we read it, the story of Jesus was not the story they'd heard before. Are you with me? Radical. Our Savior was radical. Are you with me? He was radical. So with that in mind, begin with me in verse number 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons. Now I know if your Bible's like mine, it says the parable. I think it's a true story. But whatever you think it is, it doesn't matter. Just as long as we know it's the word of God, let's learn from it. Amen. And he said he had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them. Now watch it now. He divided unto them. They both got their inheritance, his living. And not many days after the younger son gathered gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land. And he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, boy, underline that one. When he came to his senses... When he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I'll say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me, boy, underline those two words. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but, circle it, circle it, Ben, this is so radical, this is so radical, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion 
and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. And before he could finish the speech, the Bible says in verse 22, but the father said to his servants, now get in your mind, make sure you're getting all of this. The father not only ran to the son, he had servants that ran with him. (laughs) There's a whole new sermon right there. They ran with, just get it all, get it all, get it all, okay? He said to the servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry for this, my son, my son. Do you see that? My son, he had not lost sonship. He may have been wayward. He may have been prodigal, but he was still a son of the father. Boy, wow. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. What a rejoicing. What a rejoicing. You talk about a party. We just saw on TV the the New Year's Eve party. Man, let me tell you something. That paled in comparison to what was taking place now. Now look at verse 25. Verse 25 said, Now his elder son was in the field. And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry. He was angry. And would not go in. Therefore came the father out and entreated him. And he answering said unto his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. (laughs) Wow, what a lie. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And thou never gavest me a kid, a goat, that I might make merry with my friends, but, well, there's a lot of people use that word, don't they? I really like such and such, but, that was good, but, (laughs) but, (laughs) Billy Goat but, right? Watch it now. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots. Thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meat. It was correct. It was the right thing to do, that we should make merry. We should have this party. We should have this celebration and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Now, the next verse. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa. Isn't that crazy? The greatest storyteller who ever lived was the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And the way you tell a story is it must have a great beginning and a great ending. And Jesus tells us this story. And it's a captivated beginning. 
and we begin to listen to the story and we sit on the edge of our seats and wow, this is incredible. But it doesn't have an ending. This story doesn't have an ending. I don't think. Did, 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 is there an ending in your Bible? I wonder what God is going to teach us from that. Are you ready to go to work? Amen. Roll up your sleeves. Get out your Bible. Keep it out. And let's go to work. I'm going to give you, you've got the notes. You can follow with me. Number one, the facts. What are the facts? We find that in verse 11 through 13. This younger son had to be of age. He had to be at least 20. So he's at least 20 years of old. And by the way, if you study the age of 20, that's when they became a man in the Jewish culture. That's when they literally became responsible for every decision that they made. Now, this younger son received it because he was the younger son he would receive one-third of the value of the wealth of the dad. Now, if there were five sons, <clears throat> the oldest would get two-thirds, and the other four would get, they would share one-third. But we have a father who had just two boys, so we know that he had a third of the wealth that came to him. We find that in Deuteronomy chapter 21. Then we know that it took the father time to convert his possessions into cash. You see, this younger son said, I want cash. But the scripture tells us in this story that both of them received their inheritance. So the younger got one-third of his inheritance in cash, and the, the other one got two-thirds of the inheritance in assets. He owned the place. It was his. He owned the place. And then the Bible says he travels into a far country. Now, geographically, a far country doesn't mean that he had gone around the world or across the waters. It just means that he had traveled away from the Father. Now, I want you to know there's two things about his travel. Number one, he had traveled far away from the teaching that he had received at home. And secondly, he traveled as far away as he could get from the watchful eye of his Father. Now, that's the facts. Now look at the misery. We find that in verse 14 through 21. Watch what happens to him. The Bible teaches us that his fun had turned into famine and that his pals had become pigs. You see, the end of the rainbow for him was not a pot of gold. It was a pot of slop. What he dreamed and thought would happen did not happen. And you know, when he ran out of money, the Bible said a great famine hit. And understand this, that is not by coincidence. There's a God in heaven who orchestrates all kinds of events, calamities, in order to get our attention. He loves prodigals. He cares about us. Now here's a fact you better understand. I've heard people make this statement, well, if God doesn't want me to do it, he'll stop me. That isn't true. He didn't stop Adam and Eve from sinning. 
He didn't stop David from having a relationship with Bathsheba. And he didn't stop David from killing her husband Uriah. And let me tell you, this father did not stop his son. And God the Father will not stop us. you got to understand, God loves us enough to let us even do stupid things. Then I want you to understand, this young man's about to find out what Proverbs 13, 15 means. When he said the way of the transgressor is hard. Then look at the repentance. We find that in verse 19, excuse me, 17 through 19. The word repent means to change your mind. Uh, The Bible said that he came to himself. It literally means when he came to his senses. Now understand this young man, according to the scripture, according to the scripture, was not in his right mind. Now that doesn't justify his bad behavior. Are are you with me? What God's trying to tell us is that when we give in to sin, it's insanity. You're crazy. Just downright crazy. Anybody that would leave the Father And the home and the blessing of the home and and the blessing of being with the Father, it is spiritual insanity. When I was a young Christian, I had only been saved a few weeks and and I I hadn't been in church long enough to know that you're supposed to be silent about spiritual things. So I was telling everybody I love Jesus and I was winning everybody that went to school with me and everybody used to drink with me and and run around with me. I just went and everybody to Jesus. And one of my neighbors, I'd want them to Christ. And we went back to their home. And we'd just been to church that day. And the mama said to me, she said, well, Doug, I'm, ex- I'm, I'm glad for you that you, that, that, that you have, have, have gotten religion. Well, I thought that sounded good. I didn't know that was bad. But I, and by the way, I still don't have religion, but I do have Jesus. And uh, I'll never forget, she said, she said to me, she said, Doug, I just hope. You don't backslide. I'd never heard that word before. And so I asked that magical $10 million question. What's that? She said, that's where you go back to doing the stuff you used to do. I remember leaving that day. I was so depressed and down. I thought, man, who in the world would ever want to go back to where I used to be? Who wants to go back to the hog pen? Who wants to get in, in, in the, your face down in the trough and eat with the hogs? Can you imagine when Lazarus was raised from the dead? After about two days of being raised from the dead, somebody says, where's Lazarus? said, I don't know. Somebody said, oh, he's back down at the cemetery. And you go back down to the cemetery and old Lazarus is down there at the cemetery saying, ashes to ashes and dust to dust. Ashes to ashes and dust to dust. Somebody said, Lazarus, why are you down here? He said, oh, man, I just... I, I just love that cemetery talk, and I miss all being down here at the cemetery. Let me tell you, when he got out, he got out. And when you go back, it's spiritual insanity. Not in his right mind. Hang on now, we're going to go somewhere. The Bible said he comes to his senses. He comes to himself. He's devastated. He's broken. But let me tell you something. Devastation and brokenness is a prerequisite for repentance. 
It's a prerequisite for repentance. This proud young man that said, Daddy, give me what's mine. All of a sudden now he realizes how badly he needs to return to the Father. Now I know and you know. We try everything we know to do to reach our prodigals. Isn't that true? We'll get them a book to read. We'll get them a sermon. Hopefully they'll listen to it. We bribe them to go to church with us. Come on now. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, we, the whole idea is we want our prodigal to come home. But the reality is this young man had to come to the end of his rope. He had to come to complete helplessness and brokenness before he was willing to come back. And even though it was painful for the father, even though it was very difficult, that's the pathway that we have to travel if we want to come back. And guys, let me tell you something. So many of the prodigals we have in our life, we've got to be willing to let them get to the end of the rope. And that's the hardest thing in the world for a parent to do. That's the hardest thing in the world for a parent to do. You see, the depth of his repentance is seen in the speech he prepared. He didn't ask to come back as a son. He asked to come back as a hired hand. And the reason was he knew that the servants had food and shelter at home. So let's look now at number D, the return and the father. We find that in verse 20 through 24. Now remember the story of the rabbis. Ah, the one where he crossed his arms and turned his back. All of a sudden now, we find that Jesus is going to give us an incredible revolutionary portrait of Almighty God. First of all, the Father's compassion. The Bible said that he ran to him and hugged his neck and kissed him. You know, in, in, in Bible times, a man like that, and he would have been a man of, of great honor and statue. They, they had their long robes on, and in order to run with those long robes, you had to pick them up. And to pick them up and to show your bare legs was a disgrace in that culture. But that father didn't care. He wasn't one standing with his arms crossed and turning his back. He saw his son and he picked up the robe and he takes off running to the son because he cares about him. Can you imagine though how the devil had to lie to him? Can you imagine this boy raised in the synagogue Heard the rabbis tell that story over and over again of how the father crossed his arms and turned his back and let his son be stoned. And he's coming back. He's humbled himself in every way he knew to do. And he's coming back and the devil's saying, he's not going to accept you. And then he sees the father coming running and he says, he's so mad at you. He's going to get you. He's coming after you. He's coming. Uh, Let me tell you, the devil is such a liar. He tells us, man, you can't go home. And yet the father's been sitting on the porch and he's been waiting and looking and longing for us to come home. And when the father gets there, look what he does. The father didn't even let him finish the speech. Can we take just a minute and let us, let's examine the speech. Would you like to do that for a moment? Well, whether you like to or not, we're going to, Okay. <laughs> There's two parts of this speech which are true. There's two parts of it that are true. Let me give you the two parts that are true. When he said, I've sinned against heaven. Let me tell you, every sin we sin is against God. We need to get right with God. And then he says in the speech, and he said, and in thy sight. 
And he's making the speech to the Father. And when he says in thy sight, it literally means, and Father, I have sinned against you. You see, the two parts of that speech that are true is, number one, you need to get it right with God. And number two, you need to get it right with your earthly daddy. You need to get it right with your earthly daddy. But let's look at the part of the speech that is wrong. The first part of the speech that is wrong was he said, I'm no longer worthy to be called thy son. You say, well, Brother Doug, that sounds very humble. That, that, that sounds good. Well, let me tell you, it may sound humble, it may sound good, but it's terrible theology. Here's why it's terrible theology. He was never worthy to be his son. He was never worthy to be his son. To be his son was a gift. To be his son was an act of grace. And none of us are worthy to be God's children. We are God's children because it's an, a gift and it's an act of, all my, of grace of Almighty God. Amen? Now, it may sound humble, but let me tell you what we have. That's why we're insane when we leave it. It's, it's why we're insane when we run away because of what we've received from Almighty God. You see, being a son, as I said, was a gift. It was not something that he earned, and it was, it was grace. And he didn't deserve it, but he got it anyway. And by the way, because it was a gift and because it was grace, and he didn't earn it, he, he can't give it up. He can't just throw it aside. You see, his fellowship was broken, but the fact that he's a son was still intact. You see, here's what happens to this young man. In the far country, he learned the meaning of misery. But when he heads back to the father's house, he's about to discover the meaning of what grace is all about. Amen. Now look what the father says. He says, put the best robe on him. You see, the robe was for the honored guest. It was for the honored guest. Now the truth is, you and I, as we know each other and see each other, we see our flaws, don't we? And we see our sins. Isn't that right? Come on now. Isn't that right? But when the Father sees us, all he sees is a robe of righteousness that's been wrapped around us and covered all of that hog smell. All of that filth of the hog pen has been covered. He said, put the best robe on him. Then watch what the Bible says. He said, put the ring on his finger. The ring meant sonship. Now, I don't know what he did with the one he used to have. Probably hocked it somewhere and already spent the money. But the father says, get another one. Put it on his finger because I want him to know he is my son. Remember what the text said? My son. And then he put shoes on his feet. Do you realize servants were barefooted? But every family member had shoes on. He said, put shoes on that boy because, number one, I want him to know he's still my son. And I want everyone, everybody that sees him to know he's still my son. It might have sounded humble and it may have been a good thing that he was willing to be the servant. And that's great. I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad he came to the end of his rope. But let me tell you, in my eyes and who I am, he is my son. Put the shoes on him. Put the shoes on him and kill the fatty calf. Kill the fatty calf. It's a time for celebration. Now let me, let me give you something right here. I don't know about you, but when I read my Bible, I, I'm, I'm always thinking. I, I, I'm always thinking. I, I see pictures, I'm, I'm, and, and I'm not on drugs. But uh, 
I, I, I just, I, I just, I, I never read the Bible that I don't sort of see the Bible. I never teach the Bible that I don't think about my life and, and those that I'm teaching. And so I'm thinking about this father being down at the synagogue. It would be sort of like the pastor being down at the church. Are you with me? Can you imagine what he heard while that? We don't know how long the boy was gone. We have, we have no idea how long he was gone. But what we do know, what we do know is human nature has not changed. So what were some of the things the father might have heard down at the synagogue? Well, you know, do, you, do you know what his boy's doing? I don't believe he got so far away that the news didn't travel back because the older son that stayed home, the other brother that stayed home, he knew what all the younger brother had been doing. Somebody with me okay on that? Can you imagine somebody saying, well, I'll tell you right now, my boy wouldn't do that. My boy wouldn't do that. And can you believe, can you believe he opened the scripture today? Who does he think he is? Having a boy like that, he ought to be sitting in the back of the church, not opening the scriptures. I'll tell you right now, we don't know what all is going on in his home, but I guarantee you there's a lot of stuff going on in his home we don't know about. Who's he think he is? You say, well, I'll tell you right now, Brother Doug, I don't, I don't know if that happened. Then, sweetheart, wake up. And understand, we live in a real world. And people make some really stupid statements. Amen? I know you don't. But a lot of people I know do. You say, what's that father do? Well, let me tell you what he could have done. He could have gotten out of the synagogue. He could have said, I'm going to find a synagogue where they don't know me or my boy. He could have said, okay, God, I give up. He could have said, you know, this, this, this thing of Jehovah God and, and Jehovah Jireh and, and the God who's the great healer, Rapha, Jehovah Rapha. Hey, I, that, that's, that, that's crazy. I'm, I'm out of here. I'm done with that. He could have done that. But you ever thought about this story? How tragic it would have been. When that boy got out of the hog pen, if he had tried to go home and the father hadn't have been there. How tragic that would have been. And let me tell you something. If you've got a prodigal today, let me tell you what you ought to be more than anything in this world. You ought to be stable and steadfast right where you are. So when they come home, the father is still there waiting on them. You've not left the faith. You've not run away. You've not got discouraged. You've not let the mouth of other people stop you from being what God wants you to be. Well, let me give you a couple of facts here. I'm going to give you three facts to be exact. Number one fact is simply this. Everything he was looking for in the far country was back home. And had been back home with the father all alone. He just hadn't seen it. Let me give you a second fact. Had he been dealt with according to the law, 
rather than grace, there would have been a funeral and not a feast. Here's a third fact. He had to have a change of his attitude and his mind and come to his senses. And he had to change from a give me to a make me. He had to be willing to be the servant even though he was still the son or he'd have never gotten out of the hog pen. I read a story. A father in Spain had a son by the name of Paco, P-A-C-O. Paco was a rebellious boy. He got into a lot of trouble. And the dad told him, you're out of here, son. I'm done with you. Get out of my sight. I hate you. Get away from me. You're a disgrace to the family. You're a disgrace to all of us. And he put the boy out. And after a few years, the father came to his senses and realized, I love that boy. And that boy needed me to love him, not to not to turn my back on him. And he began to search for the boy. And he couldn't find him. For months he began to search for his boy and couldn't find him. And one day he decided, I'm going to put a major ad in the newspaper in Madrid, Spain. And he put a big ad, one whole page ad in the newspaper that said, Paco, your father forgives you. Please come home. And I will be waiting for you at 9.30 tomorrow morning at the newspaper office. They printed it out. It went out that night. went everywhere. When the father got to the newspaper office the next morning, 600 young men by the name of Paco were at the newspaper office wanting to be met by a father that said, you can come home. You can come home. You listen to me. There's some of you here, you're prodigals. I want you to know you can come home. Well, let's look at the next thing, and I I want you to look at it with me, and I'm watching my time. The elder son, we find him in verse 25 through 32. Here's the elder son. He stayed home. But he was as much a prodigal as the one that ran away. You say, what was his problem? He was full of resentment. He was full of bitterness. He was full of anger. He was full of jealousy. He had no grace. He had no mercy. And the words that came out of his mouth were like daggers and poison. Now outside he might have looked good, but on the inside he was absolute poison. And he was a prodigal as well. Well, I know if you're melancholy, you're looking at it and saying, boy, we got about five minutes. This preacher's supposed to be wrapping up and going into the invitation. We got all these other points. So can I give them to you quickly? Here's the second one, and we'll, we'll bring it to a close. As we look at the father, number two, the father, as I said, he, he gives a, revol- a revolutionary portrait of God the father. He's not a God with his arms folded looking at you saying you're not worthy to come back. He's a God saying come Amen. home, come home, come home. And then let's talk about a foundation for a moment. I want to ask you a question. Listen closely to me as I ask the question. Was this father in our story a good father or a bad father? Talk to me. You you think he's a good father? But he had bad sons. 
Can a good father have bad sons? Absolutely, because every son, every child, every daughter, they have a free choice. They have a free will. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 22, verse number 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. And I've heard people quote that scripture as though, I'll tell you what, if you train them up right, they'll never depart. That's not what that, that's not what that says at all. Understand something, Proverbs is a great truth, but many Proverbs are not, a, 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 not what we would call an absolute promise. You see, the great truth of Proverbs 22, 6 is that when you train up a child, and by the way, the word train up literally means that, that, a, that a nurse would take and, and put dates together and, and would put a, a blend of not only dates, but um, she would put uh, a, a paste and, and make it out of the dates and mix some honey with it and put it on her finger. And then she'd run her finger in the baby's mouth and rub it on the, the roof of his mouth. And it caused the natural instinct of nursing to to begin to take place. And so what he's saying in that proverb is, my goal, your goal, my responsibility, your responsibility as a parent is to create a hunger and a desire in our children for spiritual things. But they may choose not to do it. Or they may be a prodigal and run away. You see, understand something. This was a good father. But the absolute truth that we find in this portion of Scripture is this. When we put the Word of God in our children, it doesn't matter which way they go and what they do. They can't ever get away from the truth we put in them. They'll never get away from it. And then the family. Well, the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and I'll deal with this more uh, Wednesday night. But in the family, the Bible says that as deacons, and especially that of an elder or pastor... One that ruleth well his own home. I've heard people say when a pastor's had a wayward child, I've heard people say, well, he's, not, he, he, he's no longer qualified to be a pastor. You know, that's like saying that when God has a wayward child, he's no longer qualified to be God. And by the way, he has some wayward children. You see what that means, the word ruleth, literally, here's, here's what it means. It doesn't mean that that, that, that our children, when they, they have at that age to make choices and make bad cho- and they make some bad choices, that, that, does, that doesn't mean that, that we're disqualified. What it means, though, if I'm ruling well my home, is that I get involved into their life. I don't condone what they're doing that's wrong, but I get involved to help correct what's going on. Amen. And you read what the Bible says in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And, and uh, I'm, I'm sorry, First Timothy chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, when he talks about ruling the church of God. In other words, let me ask you something. Do we ever have sin in the church? Help me out a minute. Do we? Let me give you the right answer. So do we ever have sin in the church? So what does the pastor supposed to do? Ignore it? No, but deal with it. Don't condone it, but deal with it. And then here's the future, and I'm bringing it to a close. And you may have in your notes that six things that we need to do to reach a prodigal. That's what I'll be teaching you Wednesday night. And I promise you, it'll be worth your time to be back. But let's talk about it for a moment, and I'm done. Look at me now, and I'm done. You can even close your Bible if you want to. Just don't put your coat on. I'm not that done. Remember, I told you Jesus is the great storyteller. Remember I told you that? 
But he gives us a story that doesn't have an ending. Have you ever wondered why? I'm going to give you the answer. Can you hear me well? Let me give you the answer. The reason this story doesn't have an ending to it is because God lets every one of us write the end of the story. Because all of us mirror the story in our lives. You see, here's how that story could have ended. The father went out and he treated the older brother and he said to him, Son, this is, this is what we're supposed to do. He was dead. He's alive. He's home. And he could have said, Dad, you're right. I don't know. I, I'm tired. I, 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 I don't know why I was acting that way, Dad. I'm, Dad, forgive me. I'm sorry, Dad. And he could have walked in and there's old Bud. I gave him a name. His name Bud, okay? He said, you get that in the Hebrew? No. But he looks up at his brother and he walks in and he puts his arm out and that younger, that younger prodigal comes and you find them, they're embracing one another. And they're crying and they're wiping snot and just, just, son, I'm glad you're home. Brother, I'm glad you're home. It could have ended that way. But it could have ended this way. The father could have walked back in and said to the musicians, Stop the music. He could have walked over to the young prodigal and said, But I'm sorry. Your brother's not coming in. Hey guys, thanks for coming. Thanks for coming. We're honored that you came today. Thank you for coming, but party's over. You can go home. It could have ended that way. It could have ended that way. You see, God lets us write the end of the story. So how's it going to end this morning? Let me tell you some ways it would end in a great way. Every prodigal in this house this morning, this is the first Sunday in in a new year, in a new decade. Wouldn't it be wonderful today to come home to a father that that does not have crossed arms but open arms. I mean, get it right and say, I'm coming home. The old hymn says, coming home, coming home, never more to roam. Open wide thine arms of love, Father, I'm coming home. You can come home today. Those of us that have that prodigal in our lives, maybe a son or a daughter or a son-in-law or daughter-in-law, maybe a husband or a wife, it may be, it, it, it may be a sibling and we have them in our life. And today could be a day that we write the end of the story that we're going to love them and pray for them and we're going to get out of God's way and, and we're going we're to let God do whatever he needs to do to bring them to the end of the rope, but we're going to get out of God's way so God can bring them home. Amen. And then for the elder brothers that are still at home, oh, we look good. We smell good. We, we, we talk Christianese really well. I mean, we just, we, we carry a, a Bible with us. I mean, we, we look good. But inside, we're, we're angry. We're hurt. We're bitter. You know, I, I went through something not long ago, literally one of, one of the most devastating things in my life. And I, I had a choice to either be bitter or better. And the other day, God spoke to my heart. And he took me into the book of Ruth where that 
Naomi had her two daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Orpha, and said, girls, you can go back to Moab. I don't have any more boys or you can come with me. And the Bible said, Ruth said, I'm going with you. And Orpha said, I'm going back. And the Bible said that Naomi kissed her goodbye. Do you realize Orpha represented every hurt, every pain, every disappointment, every failure of Moab? And she kissed it goodbye. You know why? She's going to Bethlehem, the house of bread. And God's got for her there. God's got for her a grandson. Oh, he's in the making. He's in the loins of Boaz. He's got great things for for Naomi. And Naomi goes back and says, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Myra. I'm bitter. But if you're going to go back, Naomi... You got to kiss Orpha goodbye. Watch me now. There's some things that hurt us, disappoint us, fail we failures that we've got to kiss goodbye if we're going to go to where God wants us to go. And some of us are the elder sons are still home, and we look good. And thank God we've not done all of these things. Thank God for that. But we've got some things inside of us that we need by the grace of God say today to God, God, I kiss them goodbye. And I'm not going to let them define me. I'm not going to let them weight me down. I'm not going to let them hold me back. But I'm going to go forward for you and I'm going to put it in the past and I'm going forward for you. And that's what we need to do today. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. I want to ask you right here this morning, if you're a prodigal, You know who you are. You've gotten away from God. You know you've made a mess out of your walk with God. You'd say, Brother Doug, pray for me this morning. I'm a prodigal, and I know I am. Would you just slip up your hand and hold it real high for just a moment? God bless you. I see your hand. Just slip up. God bless you. Thank you for honesty. Wow. Slip it up. Slip it up. That's it. Slip it up. Anybody else? I'm, I'm, I'm a prodigal. Pray for me today. God bless you. Anybody else? I'm a prodigal. Pray for me today. God bless you. That's it. Slip it up. Slip it up. I'm, slip it up. Slip it up. That's it. Just keep slipping it up and then take it right back down. Slip it up and take it right back down. Now, every one of you just prayed, that just raised your hand, I want you to pray with me right now. Would you pray this prayer with me? You pray it to God and mean it with all of your heart. Dear Lord Jesus, I'm a a prodigal. I've made a mess out of my faith. I've made a mess out of my walk with you. I've hurt those that love me. And Lord, I'm sorry. I am so sorry, Lord Jesus. And I ask you right now, Lord Jesus, I 